Hello, and welcome to Astro's Legal Outlook in this special mini-series on women in tech. My name is Tara Waters, and I'm a partner and head of Astro's Advanced Digital. In today's episode, we celebrate International Women's Day with a conversation with Sarah Chambers, head of strategy and engagement for Astro's Advanced Digital. In our discussion, Sarah explains how her legal career has evolved in the digital space. Along the way, she reflects on the lessons she's learned and what excites her about legal careers and technology. Here's our conversation. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to be talking to you and sharing some of your story. So I've known you for the past three years working together here at Ashurst. And in preparing for this conversation, I thought a little bit about what I've learned. And it seems to me that like any great story, your legal career could be broken down into three acts. One, your time practicing as a traditional lawyer, two, the transition you've made into the digital legal product space, and three, your rebirth as a legal creative in the current role that you have. And I've personally found that journey incredibly inspiring. And since I have a front row seat to that third act, it's really exciting to watch. And I expect there's a lot of listeners out there that will feel the same. So let's start with act one. Tell us a little bit about how you got into law and, and what that was like for you. Sure, um, I'm happy to share my, my, my long and winding journey, Tara. Um, so how I got into law, um, in school, I just decided for some reason that I thought I would like to be a solicitor. And I think that's on the basis that I was fairly academic. I could read very quickly, so I could consume a lot of information um, quickly. Um, but I also really like the idea of being able to solve problems all day. I'm a pretty pragmatic, problem-solving sort of person. So the idea of being able to do that as your job, being able to solve problems for clients, but within a framework of the law really appealed to me. So I went straight off to university, uh, studied law and business studies at uni, and then went through the sort of the usual routine of doing vacation schemes with law firms um, and then getting a, a city training contract. Um, and I qualified as a financial services regulatory solicitor at a time, and I think you'll see this is a theme that goes throughout my career, at a time when regulation was really just taking off. So um, when I qualified, I think one of the lawyers um, that I worked for said to me, gosh, you might not always be busy, you might have to do a bit of derivatives work, but I never did any derivatives work, um, which is lucky for me. <laughs> lucky you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, definitely lucky me. Um, but it was, it shows just, you know, how, if you think about sort of the financial services regulatory market now, it's huge. Um, and maybe I'm giving my age away a bit now, but, um, but it, it, it was, it was sort of becoming a much bigger thing at that stage. Um, and I was attracted to it because it was challenging. And this is also definitely a theme of my journey um, and also quite a technical area um, to get my teeth into but I could also see that there was going to be lots of opportunities for growth and if at any point I wanted to move outside of private practice that then there was potentially lots of opportunities and other roles that I could also do um, do in-house and fair to say <laughs> I've always been busy so you know even like practicing as a as a lawyer um, in financial regulatory it was busy 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 and I think regulatory is one of those areas where 
it's constant constant in terms of volume but also you're constantly having to to think as well um and sort of needing some space sometimes to to do that thinking and obviously part and parcel of that I got involved in just the, the full spectrum of normal sort of regulatory regulatory work um lived through the Lehman crisis as we kind of went through that phase which was a really interesting time to be involved in in regulatory work as, as well and sort of dealing with the ramifications and the, the fallout of that. That's really interesting. And, and actually, I mean, as, as you know, um, you know, the fact in the pace of regulatory change was actually one of the things that attracted me to law, but, but coming probably from more of a tech angle um, than you did coming into a more traditional financial regulatory yeah. practice. Um, but quite interestingly, you ended up transitioning a bit into tech. Uh, what prompted that change for you? A circumstance, if I'm honest. So the the firm that I was working at at the time um, got sort of took an opportunity that came from a client and sort of turned it on its head and basically started off an, an online uh, legal product. Um, and then I got involved sort of um, creating new versions of it to cover sort of different areas of law because the first iteration of it was so successful um and actually at that point um i then became pregnant with my first child and i was um really sick <laughs> like really sick um during my first pregnancy and uh fee earning would have been really hard to do during that time um so actually i just became increasingly involved in sort of managing and, and working the content um for this uh, for this digital product um such that then by the time i'd had my first daughter um and came back to work after maternity leave my, my original thinking was i'd come back to, to fian um but i wanted to work part-time um and i couldn't quite work out how i was going to balance fee earning with working part-time and I, there wasn't really a precedent for that within the team that I was working in. Um, so actually that's when one of the partners that I was working with asked, why don't you just work on the product? And I just thought, why don't I just work on the, the product? And so initially I was very much working on the sort of the, the content side of it. So effectively being the lawyer in charge of the content that was being pushed out through um, the digital product. But over time, organically as the product grew as the team then that I needed to have around me to support it um, the sort of the demands for sort of new features and um, uh, elements that you know clients of the, of the product could use grew and grew and grew so did the range of responsibilities that I had to take on grew and grew and grew and actually I found that I think it just really suited the way that I worked I liked the idea that I was constantly learning um, so it was never really my, you know, at the start of my career, had I ever sort of intended to get involved in, in digital? No, it was just one of these things that sort of happened organically um, because of the opportunities and, as I say, the circumstances that presented themselves to me at the time. I think that's probably a common theme um, amongst all of us that have made some sort of transition mm. from practicing into now this new technology and digital space within the legal industry. Um, certainly from my perspective, I've, I've had a super strange and winding career path. I imagine <laughs> a lot of the listeners um, that are thinking about this or maybe have done it themselves um, don't necessarily see that, that linear trajectory. 
what do you think was important for you in terms of making that transition? And um, do, do you think the fact that you were a lawyer was a help or a hindrance because you're working on a, a legal product? The type of product that I was working on and how I got involved in it, I think it was a it was a necessity that I was a lawyer because as I said, the initial reason I got into it because I was the person that was responsible for maintaining the legal content of it. And so I think for my particular trajectory, it was crucial. And actually, in a way, I've almost had to detach myself a little bit from being a lawyer into becoming something else. And that's that's been quite a psychological sort of mindset shift that I've had to do because it's actually, you know, if you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, it's really clear what you are and what you do. And you can explain that to other people. But trying to explain what I do now and how I've got there from being a lawyer is, 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 is more than a five second conversation. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that takes a, a, a little bit more explaining. Um, and I, I think that some of the the qualities that lawyers have and the way that they're trained actually really make them good digital innovators. Absolutely. And as you know, I feel really strongly that lawyers do make great innovators. But I'm curious to know why you think that's the case. Um, so I think as a breed, we're quite flexible. We're quite comfortable working in ambiguity um and sort of piecing together bits of a jigsaw we're obviously quite a naturally sort of intelligent and inquisitive bunch as well which definitely helps and I think I think some of those qualities lend themselves to sort of moving into sort of different areas and obviously getting involved in in innovation as well but I don't think it's fair I don't think you know to be involved in in legal technology and digital innovation in law firms you necessarily have to be a lawyer or have come from a, a legal background and actually one of the things I have really enjoyed about what I do is getting to work with a whole range of other disciplines and professionals um, from different sort of spectrums and you know I think is that when you train as a lawyer and you work in a law firm you're surrounded by a sort of a, a fairly homogeneous kind of group of people that have been through relatively similar sort of experiences um, and are used to working in a particular way and now having this fantastic team around us where we get to kind of pull in lots of these sort of best of breed um, other areas of disciplines and be constantly learning and sort of adding skill sets to our, our toolbox based um, based on on that is incredibly useful. Um, so I think, you know, and basically allows us to kind of approach the problems that our clients have in a multitude um, of different of different ways. So yeah, overall I'd say it's helped. Um, I think there's still elements in me where I've kind of got that like, you know, perfectionist lawyer kind of tendencies as well, <laughs> um, which, um, and that sort of attention to detail, which sometimes, you know, kind of moving when you wanted to sort of deliver things on a, a lean approach and kind of, you know, getting out things that are good enough to put in front of, of clients just to start a conversation. It's sort of fighting myself a little bit to say, no, this is just a, you know, this is a, this is a pilot, this is a, a proof of concept, we, we don't have to get this all right um, from from day one, we've got to learn and take the feedback and, and move from, from there. So overall, definitely being a lawyer has helped my trajectory in this space. I think that the that that concept of the growth mindset and actually really wanting to learn and take on board um, all these other skill sets 
is really critical to digital innovation. And, and, we, mm -hmm. and you know, we both know that from working together in our team now. What are, um, what are some of the new roles you think that might be appealing to lawyers looking at moving into this space? Have you, have, what, what have you kind of uh, played around in and found really exciting and interesting? Oh my goodness, there's so many things. And I mean, I, I, I wear so many hats on any given day as do you know all of us in our, our team and I think we're constantly constantly learning but I mean there are days that I'm very much a lawyer still um so you know when we're having to look at for examples of the legal content that we're working with or um for example dealing with our sort of um risk and legal and you know compliance teams about sort of the terms and conditions that we need to put around the frameworks that we work with um but I've also had to be a teacher, a coach. I've got involved in sort of UX research and design. Um, so really understanding how we get into you know, the, the problems that our clients face so we can design solutions to meet those problems rather than just the sort of assumptions that we might have about the problems that they have. Um, an element of marketing and sales both internally in terms of being able to sell a concept, but also for the products that then we create, being able to sell those out to clients as well. Um, an element of operations, getting involved in sort of, okay, well, how are we going to deliver this and what does that look like? Um, a little bit of copywriting. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, wordsmithing, using content and, and words as a sort of a design tool. Um, increasingly quite a lot of visual design work, um, being able to kind of present things in a really clear and meaningful way, again, both internally to sell what we're doing, um, but also externally in terms of how we're presenting legal, complicated legal concepts much more simply in a, in a visual way, strategizing, future gazing, um, I think sometimes we end up as quasi-therapists sometimes to our clients when we do our research interviews um, and you ask some questions about you know things that they find difficult or the problems and you get this sort of outpouring of um of thoughts about what they find difficult in their role and from that you can kind of really pick up on their problems uh what else gosh how you drinking the touch of events planning and a bit of interior design on one day um and then obviously <laughs> things like this and podcasting so it's a really varied a really varied range of things to do and I think this has been one of the really lovely things about getting in this area of of work that actually you're not just sort of shoehorned into a particular box you can do as many things as you feel like you're able to do and expand your skill set and I think it's fair to say that we've I think we've both ended up doing things that we could probably never have imagined that we would have done in our sort of normal you know, old career as just purely lawyers right yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, <laughs> I was say, and yeah, I think the the concept around lawyers having to always wear multiple hats, regardless of of their particular role. Mm. But I think, in particular, when you when you shift over um, into the digital space, the number of hats and the multitude and different types of hats really uh, exponentially increases, um, which <laughs> which is really fun, you know, because you are constantly yeah. learning something new. Although I, I did note that one of the things you didn't mention in terms of some of the roles is, is some of the more tech specific roles that someone might be thinking about if you're operating illegal and moving sure. into more of the tech space. So would you consider yourself a techie or how important do you think those technical skills are for, for operating in digital? 
I I would not consider myself a techie. I'm not a I'm not a developer. I don't know how to code. Um, I think if I had more time, maybe that would be something that I might learn to do at some point. But is it is that those sort of skill sets? And I think what people kind of you know, from a peripheral perspective, regard as something that you must be able to do to work in technology. I I don't think those are fundamental to be able to working in this space. And actually, for me, coming with a pragmatic, a creative mindset, I think the reasons why I wanted to get involved in, in the legal industry in the first place, so wanting to solve problems is much more important in the kind of work that I do in terms of developing ideas to turn into digital products than that coding experience obviously it helps I think to be able to sort of understand an element of the sort of the language and how you get and turn your sort of the concepts that you're working with or the ideas that you have into something that they can then be developed by developers so to do that and particularly in the space that we're in being able to kind of speak the same language as a lawyer who's explaining what it is that they're looking to do and the problem they're looking to solve and what's really important from a conceptual legal perspective in it whilst also being able to have conversations and be able to explain that concept and what's important and what really matters within that product idea to two developers um, and people that were working on the more technical side so I think I mean I often kind of describe the role as somewhat being a bit of a translator or an interpreter between sort of different disciplines um, but I don't regard myself as a techie techie I regard someone that helps people kind of move towards that path to enable their output to become more techie I don't think thus far um, my sort of lack of technical background has, has hindered me in a way. And in fact, I think it just, again, as long as you've got a, the right multidisciplinary team around you um, and you're all challenging each other and you've got an open and sort of agile working environment to, to do that, yeah, that, that's, what, that's where the magic happens, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, we've certainly seen the magic a few times, sparkly eyes, <laughs> flappy hands, et cetera. Actually, I want, to, I want to go back to one of the first things we chatted about um, where you mentioned that actually part of the decision making of, of, of transitioning your career was your family life and um, a desire to actually work part, part time. I imagine a lot of people might think, oh, if I could transition into a non-practicing role, uh, maybe that's not as important because I'll have a more standard nine to five day and, and it'll be a little bit easier to balance things. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, have you um, have you maintained a part time role um, and how are you finding just balancing now this new job, which sounds like, you know, you've got about 20 different jobs in one. <laughs> it's a really good question, Tara. And I would say I'm still a work in progress on this front. And um, so I have worked part time. And I think for me, initially, the kind of the, the, the trade-off that I was balancing was one, okay, this is the kind of hands-on parent that I want to be. It's really important for me, particularly when my kids were little, um, to be home for like bath time and bedtime, um, and also to be consistent in the week so they know what to expect, so be able to provide that. So for me, at the you know, particularly when the kids were littler, being able to say I only work a certain number of 
hours in the office didn't mean I wasn't working them later at night um, once the kids were in bed um, and having that sort of I guess compartmentalization between work hours and home hours was actually quite useful to be able to um, provide that sort of level of consistency but as the the, the girls have grown um, I think what I regard as balance has shifted so it's not so much about sort of working certain hours it's just being able to sort of fit both your your work and your home life around each other so that you're delivering on the things that matter at work but also being able to be there for the moments that matter at home as well so I think my approach has become perhaps a little less rigid over the years as as obviously I've grown as a parent my kids have grown themselves I've, you know you, you grow in seniority and sort of the ability to sort of you know to leverage certain situations as well um to to make the things that you know you know you need to, to work, work. I, but I <laughs> I don't want anyone for any second to think that I've got it right all the time <laughs> there's definitely been some moments which um I, I I've questioned whether I've got the balance right at all um, and I think you know obviously for working parents through the pandemic has been particularly particularly tricky and challenging um, and I'll be very glad if I never have to homeschool again um, but I think I think what I have learned is that the, that that question about balance is really personal to everybody and everyone takes a different call on it based on their own particular setup and structure and support networks that they have around them as well. There isn't a one size fits all. I can say I, I often repeat ad nauseum, there's no one way to do anything. And um, no. you definitely learn that in, in the roles that we we now occupy. And I think that has to translate across your life, right? You know, it, it's not just something yeah. that you only, only apply in one area. And I guess now, you know, we can add teacher, teacher to your list of many roles um, <laughs> that you're capable of fulfilling. I mean, really, I'm I think the world sure. is your oyster, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, not sure <laughs> I'd be very patient teacher, but there we go. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, maybe then, Sarah, just just thinking a little bit back across this kind of crazy path you've taken, which I personally, I find super interesting and inspiring. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you today and, and have you share your story with everyone. Is there anything you might have done differently or um, any particular advice you would have wanted to give yourself along the way? What would I have done differently? I would have been a lot easier on myself. You know, you don't have anything to prove to anyone about anything. You know, just just keep doing what you're doing. And I think as I've grown older and wiser and obviously more experienced in my role as a parent and obviously sort of grown in experience in my sort of slightly divergent legal to sort of legal creative um, role as well. Um, I think I've realized that success is really personal. So what your kind of your metrics of how you regard yourself as successful change as you grow um, and I wish I had kind of realized that earlier and that sounds really crazy but that there isn't this sort of singular metric of success and again this is where I think perhaps you know when you're in a law firm mentality you see this sort of particular ladder 
uh, in front of you that you know you kind of have to go up these particular rungs and it's very clear about what you should do and actually that can I think can make success look quite one-dimensional but actually as I've as I've got older I've realized that success is actually it's a really personal thing and it it shifts all the time so for example like I mean I've got I've got twins and when the twins are really little um I came back to work and I said I sort of said to myself as I started um gosh what is the most important thing this year and I was like the most important thing this year is that we basically get through it um and that we survive at the end of it and that we're all relatively sane and and that's literally the only bar that I'm setting myself this year is that we get through it and, and hope that it's okay because it was it was quite mad um but obviously as the kids have got bigger and grown my metric of what success looks like in a given year has shifted alongside with that to the point that now I can say yes success for me looks like hitting my goals at work being a kind of parent that I want to be um learning and being happy and motivated by the things that I'm doing and actually having the confidence to set that metric of success for myself as opposed to it being an external thing that someone sort of sets for me and I wish I'd I wish I had known that and I wish I'd had the confidence to sort of grasp that much earlier on in my career I think it, at various points that would have that would have really helped me compare myself to others um, and also putting perhaps a lot of pressure on myself as well at the same time. I think that's such an important lesson to learn I hope I hope the listeners are taking some of that genuinely to heart because you know in, in an industry where kpis and metrics you know it's, you know not just law but also in in tech it's all about kpis and metrics and setting okrs there's nothing to replace actually the qualitative feeling you get from something and the you know the satisfaction you have just in your life living in the present um as you say not so strictly compartmentalizing aspects of your life but holistically Am I, am I happy with what's going on? Um, am, am I getting, you know, am I sparking joy in all aspects of my life? And if not, what, what can be improved? Um, but giving yourself a break too, I think is so, so, so important. And I think, you know, as, as someone who's, you know, like many of us kind of blazed their own path to a large extent where there hasn't been that precedent, that person above you for you to follow in their footsteps. No. It can be really hard to know what 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 is good, what is success in, in what we're doing. And I think it's really important that we all remind ourselves that actually just the fact that we've in some way created our own careers is yeah. inc an incredible incredible feat um and really exciting and inspirational i love i love meeting other people that, you know in in our area that can share those stories and you know hearing a bit more about that yeah and there are so many stories i think it's like obviously slightly different to mine but in terms of how people have ended up taking these sort of squiggly careers and getting to where they've where they've got to um I think is it's just it's really interesting and I think perhaps we should talk about it more that you know if people I don't know if I when I was younger when you first start out I think you think there is really only sort of one path to tread um and hearing these stories about the sort of the multitude of of options and routes that are available if you're willing to take them if you're willing to say yes to the opportunities that excite you um 
then so many different doors open. You might not know where they're all going to take you necessarily, but actually having that ability to be a lot more flexible. But also if, if something isn't for you, being able to say, no, that's something that doesn't really serve me. I'll carry on on the path that perhaps I was on or perhaps try something else that none of this is fixed or finite. It's up to you. And I think there's, you know, when you realize that it's an incredibly freeing notion. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think on that very uplifting note, uh, I'll say thank you so much. <laughs> and, um, you know, really looking forward to, I think, like everyone else, seeing how this third act evolves with you and, and perhaps, you know, uh, the next, the next act will be something even more exciting. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Thank you for listening to our special mini-series on women in tech. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss the rest of this mini-series, please subscribe to Asher's Legal Outlook wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, feel free to leave us a rating or review. If you'd like to find out more about Asher's Events Digital, please visit www.ashurst.com. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now. If you enjoy Ashurst Legal Outlook, why not check out our other two podcast series as well? Ashurst Business Agenda tackles the big strategic issues that business leaders face. And ESG Matters at Ashurst reveals how business leaders are rising to mounting environmental, social and governance challenges. You can listen and subscribe to Business Agenda and ESG Matters wherever you get your podcasts.